Philemon, I invite you to turn there and spend a few weeks here in this little book, this little letter. Certainly less time in this little letter than our previous study, but nonetheless, there is much need for the themes that come out of this, these verses, 25 verses. Theme of Philemon, one of the main messages is on forgiveness. Though the word forgiveness is not used at all in the book, the practice of it is demonstrated and called for by the Apostle Paul. When we think about forgiveness today, uh, forgiveness is lost. We live in a day and age where revenge is on everybody's mind. How can I get revenge? People return evil for evil. They're looking for retribution. They're looking to gain back a, a pound of flesh. If somebody has harmed them, they are going to harm in return. It's as if we live in a day and age where litigation is the new lottery. Hurt me in some way, I'll litigate because I want the paycheck in the end. Someone hurts me, I can sue. We've lost the language of forgiveness. We've lost the language of releasing debt. We are litigation heavy. And it's likely as a result, because we are lit- litigation heavy today, that the language of forgiveness is lost altogether. Certainly, I think the idea of forgiveness has fallen on hard times, so much so it's just rarely discussed at all. We don't call someone to practice it. We don't call them to release debts. We don't call them to seek to exercise love. It is a day and age again where we've moved on entirely from that. We understand that culturally, it's just sad when that creeps into the church as well. Certainly within the church, the church isn't immune to the possibility of interpersonal difficulties. Once we come to Christ and once we start to walk in Christ and spend time in the Lord and amongst one another enjoying life together, the likelihood that we are going to sin against one another grows more and more. So we need to understand the practice of forgiveness. We need to understand what motivates it, what drives it. Who is involved in seeking forgiveness? How do we seek forgiveness? What is the purpose in this pursuit? These are just some of the things that could be answered as we work our way through this marvelous text of the Apostle Paul to Philemon. It's hard to call this a book, seeing it's just 25 verses, but it is a personal letter. A letter written by the Apostle Paul to a beloved friend. And this letter is quite intriguing. And I can tell personally, there are times when this book has ministered to me personally and privately in difficult times. Because what Paul calls Philemon to is the demonstration of a great and magnanimous love. A love to one who really didn't deserve it but one who received it because of a transforming work of God in their life. I think when we work our way through this book, one thing you're going to see is this, that this book is one of the greatest arguments against a conditional forgiveness view. 
The conditional forgiveness view says this, you cannot give forgiveness to anyone until they come to you and ask for forgiveness. You can stand ready to forgive, you can have a heart of forgiveness, you can have a willingness to forgive, but the actual releasing of the debt cannot take place until one asks, then drops the book of Philemon and blows all those categories. Onesimus is not asking for forgiveness here in Philemon, it's Paul, someone outside of the situation. Nor is the word forgiveness, as I said, ever used in this book at all. This book violates all patterns found in the conditional forgiveness process. And yet, nonetheless, you have the Apostle Paul appealing to Philemon, drawing attention to Philemon, what he ought to do, demonstrating, Paul demonstrating both his love for Philemon and for Onesimus, and asking for the right thing to be done. So many rich things demonstrated here. And if we were to look at this book and talk to someone who is in the uh, conditional forgiveness camp, they would say something along the lines when we point out that little observation that the formula to forgiveness is not in this particular text. Their conclusion is simply, well, it must have just happened behind the scenes. The idea for those in the conditional forgiveness camp, is the idea if you were to release somebody of a debt and you were to do it freely, it's too simplistic. It encourages forgiveness so broadly that it diminishes the justice of God and compromises the integrity of true forgiveness, says one author. There's just no way God could be operating in that way. There's no way that one could be called to such free and full forgiveness without some kind of process. Is concluded. What I want to draw your attention to is the riches of forgiveness and love demonstrated here. I've talked with various individuals who said we have to hold to forgiveness being conditional because there's the o- that's the only motivation to seeking reconciliation. But Philemon is a book about reconciliation. It's about reconciling two parties, a runaway slave with a master, two Christians. It's about reconciliation. And in pursuit of reconciliation in this, Paul gives a clear motivation for what our drive towards reconciliation should be. It's assumed by some, the need for forgiveness is the drive. And I want to demonstrate to you through this book, the need to express love is the drive. Desire to show the rich and profound love of God to an undeserving sinner, that drives me to pursue them. Even when they have sinned against me, I desire to show the love of God to them in great ways. This is the rich message of this book as we begin to work through it, and begin to see this great need. We need a reconciling love. We need to be, uh, as God's people, demonstrating this kind of love among the body because there will be many reasons, uh, many ways in which we would sin against each other. And if we are not rich in our forgiveness and love towards one another, there's going to be significant conflict. 
So the driving force, as you're going to see, and Paul, again, only uses the word love here on two occasions. He uses it in verse 5, because I hear of your love. And he uses it in verse 7, speaking of the church, or speaking of Philemon, I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. It's an anticipation of what is in the heart of Philemon. Is two, on these two occasions, he mentions love. But as you're going to see as we work our way through this, he demonstrates a great expression of love and reconciliation and forgiveness in this book. So tonight, here's what I want to do. I want to just set up uh, the place or the setting. Then we'll look at the people and then we'll identify the problem. And that will set us up for tonight for the remaining weeks in this particular book. The book of Philemon is a book that is closely associated with the book of Colossians. Philemon is one of those prison epistles along with Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. There's also Philemon. Paul wrote this message and wrote this particular letter while imprisoned. And he sent this letter to Philemon in a little personal delegation consisting of two individuals, one who would be welcomed and one who would be a shock to see to the, to the recipients. The setting to this letter is the backdrop of that's behind the scenes in Colossians and we're just flip back and forth between Philemon and Colossians here just to highlight some things. If you want to have your finger in like Colossians 1 and 4 and in Philemon, because we're going to flip back and forth. These two books are closely related together. It is very likely that in the writing of this book, Philemon, it comes because of the story of the Colossian church. It is likely that during the time of Paul's ministry in Ephesus that both Philemon and Epaphras came to the knowledge of faith in Christ and they were trained. Acts chapter 19 describes that. Acts 19, 8 through 12 says this, and I'll just read it. Speaking of Paul's ministry in Ephesus, it said that he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some of them became hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. Verse 10, and, he took, and this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Paul was demonstrating in Ephesus a marvelous ministry. He was teaching regularly, instructing, again demonstrating miracles. And it's likely during this time that Epaphras came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as Philemon. 
that they would be trained together and these two men would become ministry co-laborers in the church in Colossae. The church in Colossae was pastored by Epaphras. Colossians 1 describes that. In verse 7, he speaks of this church, and he's speaking to the church in Colossians 1, 7, and speaking of the gospel, he says to them, the church there, that you learned it. You learned the gospel from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. Epaphras is our delegate to you, came and ministered the word of God to you. Some point, Paphras learned that message from the Apostle Paul, and as it said, it was likely during that time in Ephesus. He learned the gospel, he received it, and then he took it back and ministered to it, the gospel to those in Colossae. He was a good minister, a faithful servant, one who was ministering the gospel on their own behalf. And this church in Colossae was a significant church. He says that back in verse 4, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. You have this growing, magnificent love. Verse 6, this gospel has come to you just as in all the world and is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Fruitful ministry which was which had received the word of God and responded to it and was bearing out fruit, ministered to by Epaphras. But it's also flipping over to Philippians when or Philemon uh, one and verse nineteen, and again we're going to go back and forth. In Philemon one verse nineteen, Paul says to Philemon, "There, I, Paul, am writing this." With my own hand, I will, I will repay it, notice, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. It's very likely in this that Paul is even saying to Philemon, I have ministered to you, poured myself out, and you owe me your very self. Could have been as well an indication that Philemon, an influential businessman, came to saving faith under the Apostle Paul's ministry. By the way, back in verse 2 of Philemon there, adding another detail to the background, when at the end of verse 2 indicating, well in verse 1 he, he, he addresses this to Philemon, our beloved brother, and in verse 2 at the end he's also addressing to the church in your house. Where is the church meeting at this time? The church is meeting in the house of Philemon. This is where the Colossian church is meeting. Paul here then is writing to this ministry. Back to Colossians just to set up the story a little bit more there. Epaphras is ministering there in Colossae. He is ministering to this church. And in ministering to this church, he starts to experience difficulties. He starts to experience the challenges that come in ministering in that area. And as he faces those challenges, he heads out to find the Apostle Paul in order to get instruction, encouragement, to understand the particular issues that are 
arising in that area and get Paul's insights. That's what then Colossians chapter 1 from verse 15 and following the discussion of Christ is into chapter 2, the uh, Christ above the various ideologies that were being presented. Paul comes and gives an answer to all of that. But this church plant, as it was taking off, is a church plant that, again, Paul uh, Epaphras wanted uh, instruction for. So Epaphras went out and found the Apostle Paul. And when he found the Apostle Paul in Rome and he received from the Apostle Paul instruction, the Apostle Paul writes this letter back to the Colossian church to build up and to edify this church, to strengthen it so that it would face the typical, face the challenges that it was running into. That's the backdrop, and it comes in uh, verse 7 of chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 7. Paul says this, As to my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother, and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord will bring you information. Verse 8, For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Verse 9, And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, now notice this phrase, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Paul, hearing from Epaphras of the needs, responds to the needs and writes a letter. And he sends that letter back to the church in Colossae with Tychicus and Onesimus. Tychicus is the deliverer of the message, and he is one who is the, a fellow minister, a bondservant of the Lord. And he comes with twofold delegation. One, he is the entrusted one with the letter, but secondly, he is also a companion of the Apostle Paul, and he is going to give to the Apostle, or give to the church any information they need about Paul's circumstances and situation. That's what he says in verse 8, that's, you may, that you may know about our circumstances, and he's going to encourage your hearts. But along there, there's another man by the name of Onesimus. We'll come to him in a minute. So the backdrop is Paul is writing a letter. He wrote a letter to the Colossians. But as he's writing this letter to the Colossians, there's a couple of individuals involved that demand another private letter a letter to Philemon. So let's just look at the people. Turn back to Philemon 1 and look at the people. Philemon chapter 1, well, there's only one chapter, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. There's the first person, of course, in this letter is that of the apostle Paul. He reminds the audience of his condition. He is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He is here in Rome awaiting his trial, awaiting this time in which he, his case will be heard and that he would be released. 
In fact, I believe at this point, he's expecting this to go pretty quickly. He's not expecting this to be drug out very long. Look down at verse 22 and 23. At the same time, also, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. The idea is I don't expect to be here very long, uh, we've sent to you Tychicus and Onesimus. I'm, I'm going to have the final details here to be taken care of and then pray that I will be with you. Have the lodgings prepared. Again, he's writing this to Philemon. He is expecting that he is going to come and stay at Philemon's house. And Paul is there at this particular time with his fellow workers, verse 23 and 24 says, Epaphras is there, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, he greets you, as verse 24, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. They were all there with him at this point in ministry. And again, this has to be pretty early in ministry because Demas hasn't left yet. Second person indicated in this text is there in verse 1, Timothy, our brother. Now, I think this is a stronger connection to the Ephesian background because there is no reason to mention Timothy at this point. Timothy doesn't add to the letter. He's not writing extra things. He's not contributing at all. And yet he's appealed to here in this letter. There is a familial connection a relational connection here to Timothy. Timothy is referred to by Paul here as our brother. Literally in the text, it reads the brother. Timothy, the brother. But translated with a possessive force here, our brother here, appeals to the spiritual and Christian relationship. Philemon knew Timothy. Timothy was a character, was a person in which Philemon had a relationship with. And so that Paul adds Timothy as part of this introduction so as to draw a connection again to this relationship. So these are the two who are sending the letter, Paul and Timothy. And now we see the recipient, recipients of the letter. The first, of course, is Philemon. To Philemon, a beloved brother and fellow worker. Philemon, again, the, there are a few things we can observe about Philemon here. First of all, he is beloved by the Apostle Paul. He says there, our beloved brother, there is a, a, a deep abiding love that is demonstrated throughout this little letter of the Apostle Paul. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child. Verse uh, 14, you know, he's wanting Onesimus to, say, but, to stay with him, but he says, that I'm not going to go without your consent. I didn't want to do anything without your approval here. As if I, to say, I could have forced you, but I, I didn't want to do this outside of your personal approval. There is genuine, beloved affection by the Apostle Paul towards Philemon. 
calling him here in verse 1, again, a fellow worker. And as a fellow worker, it might be as simple as he is a fellow worker because the church is in your house at the end of verse 2. Could have been simply that Philemon had provided the context by which the church could gather and meet. But it's probably more. Probably that he engaged in ministry work just as the rest had. Certainly would be work to be setting up his house. It would be work to be making preparations for the guests. It would be work to make sure that everything was hospitable for people to be, enjoy themselves when they were around. It would be work to set up seating arrangements. It would be work to dwell with people even after everything was done and be the last person to close up. All of that would be work. And finally, men would be right in the middle of all of that. But it's clear that not only was the church in Philemon's house so that there was a measure of success there, but it's also true that this Philemon was the one who possessed servants or slaves. Verse 16 indicates that. Speaking of Onesimus, that he's no longer a slave, but more than a slave. He was a man who demonstrated and had a demonstrable wealth. The church is meeting at his house. He's also a person that had slaves. There in Colossae, there were many different uh, ways in which people would make money, but it was very popular that this area was known for their rich fabrics, deep purple fabrics, which would be desirable and would be, again, of significant value. It's possible he had some kind of business like that, but we don't know. The next person indicated in verse 2 is that of Aphia. Aphia, our sister. This is likely Philemon's wife, who is a believer as well. Again, here she is literally called, like uh, Timothy, who is called the brother, she is here called the sister. The emphasis being on her spiritual state, she is a believer. There isn't the possessive noun, possessive pronoun here so isn't like your sister possessive this is again a reference to her spiritual state she too is a believer likely referred to again because of her connection to Philemon as his wife now you've probably at this point said you know you really haven't made the strong connection to me that this is the Colossian church well here's the third character let me show you the third character, Archippus, verse 2. And to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. To Archippus. Who is this Archippus? He is the backup preacher. Let me show you this. Turn over to Colossians chapter 4. And uh, notice in Colossians 4. Let's we'll just start in verse 16. Yet in verse 12, Paul mentioning Epaphras and his ministry, and he's praying for them, and he's sending his greetings, and he's laboring for them, and he's, uh, you know, he is praying that you're, they're standing firm, assured in the will of God. Then in verse 16, notice, when this letter is read among you, 
Have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Now verse 17. Say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Who is now pastoring this little church in Colossae? It's Archippus. He has been given that duty. The same Archippus is now referred to in Philemon chapter 1 and verse 2 as our fellow soldier. He is the one now pastoring this little group, this church that is in the house of Philemon. And again, he's probably there by force, meaning Epaphras left. Epaphras needed to pick somebody, so he picked Archippus. He left, and Archippus is saying, well, I'll just fill in my time. I will do what I need to do here. But Epaphras is coming back. And when he comes back, I will turn things back over to him, and I will step down. Why else does Paul have to say in verse 17, say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord and fulfill it. Keep at it, he is saying to him. So Archibus is the pastor of this little congregation. Archibus now is ministering there. And Archibus is reading out loud this letter which he has received from the Apostle Paul, and he is about to read out the other letter as well. Now there's one other character. Well, yeah, there's one other character, and this final character concludes the people and also sets up the problem, and that character is Onesimus. Onesimus, again, is first referred to in Colossians 4, 9. With him is Onesimus, our beloved and faithful brother. But now he is also referred to here in Philemon. In verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. Onesimus is the main character here, he and Philemon. He is the runaway slave who now Paul is going to address Philemon about. One more detail, actually. Uh, one more group. If you notice at the end of verse 2, this is significant. Not only do you have Archippus, our fellow soldier, but Paul also refers to a group. It says, and to the church in your house. This is a significant little detail I can understand Paul's writing to Philemon because he was directly involved in the detail. I can understand him writing to Aphia, his wife. I can even understand him writing to Archippus, the pastor of this little congregation. But to now address the matter before the whole church and to say to the whole church, he's also addressing them in this letter, leaves a question. Why would Paul 
bring a personal matter between Philemon and Onesimus before the whole church? I'm going to let that question linger on your mind. Let me set up the problem a little bit more, and then we can look to answer that tonight at least. So he goes on, there is this Onesimus. Who is this Onesimus? He's the runaway slave. He, is a sl- he was a slave, verse 16 indicates to Philemon. He's no longer as a slave, but more than a slave. The Bible speaks a lot about slavery. It never condemns the practice, but nor does it support it either. It says, ultimately, whatever state you are, remain, but if you can be free, pursue it. Paul affirms the practice in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 22 through 25, he says this, Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Paul gives instructions to those who are slaves how they are to operate and how they are to glorify God in their labors. Then in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul gives instructions to masters. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Each party in this was to carry out their duties, their responsibilities. There are many reasons for one to be a slave during this time. It could have been the conquering of a territory, or it could have been that somebody had indebted themselves and as a result of their debts had become slaves. You see that in Matthew chapter 18, 21 through 35. Whatever the case was for Onesimus, we don't know how he got into this condition, but he was a slave, a slave to Philemon. And as a slave, he lived under the rule and protection of Philemon. Philemon, again, would have been responsible to care for him, to provide housing, to provide food, to provide clothing for him. Once again, demonstrating that Onesimus had to have some measure of wealth. Onesimus, again, would have, had to, would have operated under the, the provisions of Philemon. What became clear is, while an unbeliever... Onesimus did not like this arrangement, and he ran away. And by running away, Onesimus took a big risk. As a runaway slave, if a runaway slave was caught, he was branded on the forehead so as to demonstrate that he was a runaway. He would be severely mistreated by various owners, And in this mistreatment, he would be made an example of. Again, not to say Philemon would have done that, but that's the way that a runaway slave would have been treated at that time. And he ran away as an unbeliever. We know that this is the case. Because again, notice verse 10 of Philemon. It says, I appeal to you, and notice what he calls him, my child Onesimus 
whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. While I was in prison, Onesimus came and I ministered to him the gospel and he came to Christ. As a child of mine, I ministered to him. Now, we don't know the circumstance or the situation here, how this happened. We don't know if Onesimus just got tired of the situation and ran away and in God's providence and directing came, it, uh, came to contact with Paul or if he was uncertain, having watched the church operating in Philemon's house and wondering about this Apostle Paul, so he went searching himself. We don't know what was driving Philemon, but what we do know is this. He ran away an unbeliever, and he returned a believer. He ran away dead in his transgressions, and he returned a child of God. So much so, again, that Paul says of him in chapter 4 of Colossians that he is one of yours, one of you, literally. The New American adds, of your number. Comes back a child of God. Now you can imagine for a moment that if you are Epaphras and you left Colossae and left Philemon's house, you used to live at that place or interact at that place, at Philemon's house, you've seen Onesimus operate around. You leave, or you hear Onesimus one day runs away, and then you head out to Rome, and when you get to Rome, you see Onesimus there, and now he's a believer. You can imagine Epaphras' shock. Aren't you the runaway slave of Philemon? What are you doing here, and why are you talking to Paul? And all the story starts to make sense. Paul, who rejoiced in Onesimus' conversion as his own child, is now aware that this man needs to return back. Notice what he says about Onesimus in verse 11. Who was formerly was useless to you, but now has, or now is useful both to you and to me. When this guy was an unbeliever, he was a waste to both of us, but now in Christ he is a blessing, a servant. As one who was an unbeliever, he was useless. Probably because he was chafing under the work. But then once he became a believer, now he willingly embraced his work and became a servant. Paul sends him back from Rome to Philemon to reconcile, to be restored. And the problem is this then, how would Philemon respond to the runaway slave's return? That's the problem. Is Philemon going to get angry? Is Philemon going to make an example of him? Is Philemon going to force him to return back to a condition whereby he had to work off his debt? Would Philemon release Onesimus and allow Onesimus to return with Tychicus to come back and minister to the Apostle Paul? Or would he keep Onesimus around? That is the problem. 
So the people, the place, and the problem we have seen. And all of this, again, goes back to verse 2, which is this strange setting. Why, Paul, address the church in his house? Why not stop it at just the small level between Philemon, his wife, and his pastor? Why engage this to everyone Why address the whole church all together and engage them in this? And I think it's because of this very principle here, because Onesimus is more than a slave now. He is a brother in Christ. And there's more involved here than just the interpersonal dynamics between Philemon and Onesimus. What's more now is this is a brother in Christ, a fellow laborer in Christ. This is a child of God now. And now Paul is going to say to Philemon, however you interact with Onesimus, you have to see your interaction in relationship to the whole church. That's why he's appealed to. And remember that when these letters would be received... It would be read out loud. You saw that at the end of Colossians 4. Have this letter read among you and also the letter from Laodicea. You read that one as well and you share this with them. Same thing here. And they're going to have a personal letter from the Apostle Paul. This is going to be read out loud. And the one who is doing the reading is Archippus. And he is calling, as he is reading this letter out, he is calling attention to Philemon's marvelous example of love that's going to be demonstrated in Onesimus' reconciliation and restoration. Paul is basically inviting Philemon before the whole church to demonstrate a great and magnanimous love by freeing Onesimus to serve the needs of the Apostle Paul. That's what he's doing here in this book. And what he is demonstrating here is the greater perspective. More significant than Philemon's personal hurts. More significant than the personal costs to Philemon is the body's perspective on the practice of love in their midst. See, I think too often times we are so consumed by our personal hurts and unwilling to forgive that we do not recognize the corporate consequences. We don't recognize what happens and how we hurt the rest of the body of Christ because we're too consumed about what it costs us. Individually. Paul doesn't give Philemon that little room here. This would have been easy for Philemon to take a personal letter. By the way, verse 19 says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay. This personal letter written by the hand of the apostle Paul to Philemon, it would have been very easy for 
for Philemon to keep this a personal matter, and he doesn't keep it a personal matter. He makes it a corporate matter. So oftentimes, we want to do the same to keep our personal, private hurts without any awareness to what happens corporately. And I like the fact that Paul does not allow that here. He draws the attention to everyone. He basically addresses the elephant in the room. I mean, you could imagine the worship service that day when you received news that today is the day we're going to read the letter from the Apostle Paul. He wrote from Rome to us. He has a big letter and a small one for us. We're going to read them. Who delivered it? Ah, Tychicus delivered it. And Onesimus. What? Who? What, what? Onesimus who? Yeah, Onesimus, the runaway slave. Philemon's slave, you know, the one he's been talking about who ran away that is no longer, he can't find. He came back and he's a believer now. There is, for the church, again, an elephant in the room. What is going to happen to this Onesimus? And Paul now appeals to the whole church. Listen to my words that I am going to say to Philemon. And encourage Philemon to do the right thing. Affirm to him that this is the right path. Encourage him in this path. Receive your brother Onesimus. He left you useless. He now comes back useful. He left spiritually dead. He now returns spiritually alive. He left a servant to men. Now he returns a servant to God. Be careful in this work. Sometimes I think this, sometimes the pettiness of our problems is revealed when our problems are seen in light of the greater work of God. When you start to see your problem in light of God's greater work, you start to recognize, oh, that's, my problem is so petty, so small, so insignificant. But when we hide our problems in the shadows of our bitterness, they seem so big and they overcome and cast darkness on God's greater work. I think there's a purpose for Paul here to call out the church and he, the purpose is to call the attention onto the significance of the problem and to put the problem in proper light. In light of kingdom activity, it is small and nothing, this little problem between Philemon and Onesimus. Next week, we will look at unpacking that problem some more as we see Paul's exhortation to Philemon. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, Thank you so much for these just opening thoughts and background. And again, we see from this very book that our hearts are prone to wander, prone to fall into the same errors, prone to, to need the same instruction, prone to exalt our burdens and our problems so high that it even trumps godliness righteousness, and unity of the body, and demonstrations of love. 
So we pray that as we work our way through this little study, that our hearts would just be filled with a permeating love, that love's gospel ministry work above and beyond all else, that we are quickly seeking reconciliation. We are rich in showing love. We are long-suffering in the demonstration of forgiveness, holding no wrongs, holding on to no right to collect from those wrongs because we desire a much bigger work. We're thankful for this little book recorded for us, the church, that we would see how we ought to conduct ourselves. May we learn richly from its message. It's in your name we pray. Amen.